Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Welcome Adrian Brown to the podcast. Hi Amy, great to be here. It's, uh, it's the second time I've interviewed you, different podcast, but this one is Focus on Why podcast. I'm really looking forward to this and, and congratulations on everything you did with the Property Vault, that was brilliant. Thank um, you. And looking forward to this new one. Absolutely, I'm looking to get this into more countries. At the time of recording, the Property Vault podcast got into 82 countries and I think it'd be really oh my God. I know, it's crazy. Um, This one, I'm going to go for at least 100, so bring it on. No stopping you, no stopping you. (laughs) (laughs) I just think with the people that we're going to have on the podcast, and you're my first guest, so congratulations on that. But I I would love to have um, as many people from different industries, just because there's so many people out there who've got different whys and have got so much to offer. And I think that Mm. moving the the different industries and, and the thoughts, the insights from one industry to another can be really helpful and no more than these times that we're experiencing now. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that situations like now really point out to the, everybody is that sometimes corporations have a great advantage and the corporate advantage they have right now is they have a corporate intelligence. They have lots of people to think about problems and solve problems and create new ideas. Whereas small business owners, you know, if you're only employing, you know, maybe up to 50 people or so, your thinking, your mental capacity as an organization is less just because of the sheer numbers. And so being able to think through problems and invent new solutions from scratch is harder. So I think, you know, the small business owners who I deal with specifically are really challenged at this time to reinvent themselves. What is it that you are focusing on right now? Adrian, what is it you're helping people do? Well, I think I think it has to be of the moment, and we are here in week whatever it is of lockdown. Um, I know this is going out on the fourth of May, but we're recording this a bit earlier. If I'm allowed to say that, you'll probably edit yeah, that no, out absolutely. now. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but so we're in week. I think we're week, just starting week three, aren't we, of lockdown? Yeah. So um, at this stage, there's a lot of businesses still in survival mode. Um, which means that they are trying to assess what's going on. They're trying to figure out, can they survive? Uh, Do they have to furlough people? Do they lay people off? What do they do? Um, And they're in panic mode, realistically. And what I've been working on for all my life as a consultant is helping people to manage change effectively. So most people, when they decide to change their business, it's a conscious choice. They decide, oh, I'm going to do something new. This, this hasn't been anybody's choice. Nobody chose to be in this situation. Uh, if we went back, I don't know, let's say we were sitting together in December thinking, what's the worst thing that could happen in 2020? In our worst nightmares, we wouldn't have come up with this. No. And this has fundamentally pulled the rug out from everybody's feet. Um, there are some businesses that are really thriving right now, in fact, in success mode right now, because they're delivering what people need. So they're delivering 
what people need for safety. They're delivering what people need uh, physiologically, or they're delivering what people need from a point of view of uh, loving and well-being and, and connection. But most businesses are delivering some product or service which somebody's going to consume, and at the minute, people aren't thinking about spending money on those things. So that is a real challenge for business. So we've got to change, and we've got to invent a future. But to do that, we've got to unlearn our past or uninvent our past. And I think small business owners and some big businesses have a real challenge with doing that. So for me, what I've been working on for most of my life and all my consulting life is helping people affect change in their businesses successfully uh, and long-lastingly. And I think right now we have to do that. And a lot of businesses are struggling to figure out how to do it well. Why do you think that is? We're past-based creatures. Um, you know, if you're really sick, I mean, we've all had that situation where a company had one startup product and their, their first product was really great and it's brilliant and they made lots of success out of it. So they thought they'd do it again. And suddenly it didn't work because they hit a moment and they created something, but they didn't understand their creative process necessarily and the impact it had on their customers. Mm. So the customers moved on, but they didn't. Things like so, so again? Like Blockbuster, the company. Yeah. Um, and lots of organizations who, yeah. you know, Kodak, yeah. <laughs> classically, yeah. you know, well, we don't need to go digital. No. <laughs> We've always done um, plastic filmed, covered uh, pictures and stuff. That's what we do. Yeah. Uh, HMV to a certain degree as well, you know, with, with the arrival of Amazon. So yeah. we have our past and we think the past is it. So to give up our past and think of something new is always challenging. And we don't do it very well. We, you know, a lot of people do change and then sort of revert back to where they were. But we can't go back this time. We really can't go back this time. This is, um, this is a big change. I mean, I don't think anybody could have predicted where we're at right now. No, I think in, even in the early weeks of when it was, we knew it was coming, we didn't quite know what was coming, but we didn't, we, we didn't think it would change the way that we were operating. People were still trying to do the, the business in the same way. And, and I think that maybe, as you say, the rug has been pulled from underneath a lot of people's feet and it wasn't, um, it wasn't foreseen as in there hadn't been a buildup of a particular financial crisis or as you say, um, the other elements like war or social issues, it was literally a, a health issue. And, and as you said, that that's a really big change for everyone globally. And, and I think the interesting thing is that what have we done to stop this virus or what are we doing to stop this virus and its impact? is the key thing is social distancing. So we are separating ourselves from each other so that the virus cannot be transmitted, which is a really basic brick wall attitude, but it's actually working. And how well it'll work, maybe when this goes out, we'll have more data, but it is working and it's beginning to, and it's worked in other countries. And so I read the report today that actually they, they estimate that the, reduction in potential cases worldwide was about 75% because the Chinese isolated Wuhan when they did. Right. So by shutting it down and, and limiting the transmission of the disease, they reduced the number of the potential number of cases by 75%, which is a huge number. So 
we know isolation is, is a key thing, but then there's the consequences of isolation, which we're social beings. So we've, you know, that part has changed in us and we're having to find new ways. Our relationships, the purpose of our relationships haven't changed. You know, if you're a customer, you want to buy my products and services, I'm a supplier, I want to sell you my products and services and for, for mutual benefit. So that hasn't changed, but the dynamic of how we do it has fundamentally changed right now. And when we come back to the new normal, whatever that's going to look like, the dynamic is going to have to be new and different. It's going to have to have different shape to it because people are going to get used to, well, why do I have to go and work in my office in London? I don't need to do that. Why do I have to do it? I could do it this way. I could do it that way. The social things we're going to want to connect again, of course we are. I mean, I'm dying to give my kids a hug who live in London and wherever. But um, that's, that's the social element that we want to get back. But the operational element of business is going to be fundamentally different. I totally agree. And I, th I think that one of the things I've noticed is that companies are going to become more efficient in the way of working. There's probably going to be less traveling for meetings, um, which will be, make them even more efficient in time. So I think you know, that's one of the, the positivities to come out of it, that I think life will be, become much more efficient. And as you say, the, the social concepts, a lot of people have been arguing about, don't call it social distancing, call it physical distancing, because we want to stay in touch socially. And we are, we do need to have those connections. And in a world where we've never been so disconnected, we've also never been so connected digitally um, and virtually right now. And I think there's been so, I've had so many meetings virtually that we wouldn't have had. People didn't have time, but as you know, we've now got more time because we're not traveling to meetings and we, our, our day is quite flexible. And I think that's a fantastic benefit. Well, it, it, interestingly, you talk about the, um, the travel part of it. Um, so about oh, two years ago, um, one of my iterations of my business was called Community Capital in Business. And I still have a Facebook page called Community Capital and Business. And there, the whole idea of that was that um, what we need to do is look at the human capital in, in a community, in a business, and see how that can contribute to the business. But most of our business structures, and this is something which is where I'm working a lot with companies at the minute, most of our business structures were based around historical ways of working. So I remember in the 80s people started to talk about the virtual corporation where you didn't have big offices people were distributed all over the world working from their homes or different small offices satellite offices and communicating via do you remember web conferences and things like that wow those are days um well hello that's where we are right now so suddenly that virtual corporation thing has been forced upon us so the structure's changed but not only that how do you value your contribution to your business today because your contribution was sort of predicated on the structure of that organization and the hierarchy the physical hierarchy of that organization so the big boss had the big office in the corner and the junior worker had the small office or an open plan desk you know near the, the toilets or the exit <laughs> and uh, that's no longer the case so how do you how do you um, justify who you are in an organization well it's actually now down to your contribution 
what you actually contribute, not just what you do, because that's your function, but what you contribute. So the contribution revolution is sort of being forced upon us. We now have to think about how do I contribute in my business? Whether if I'm a solopreneur, how do I make my business, the environment of my business, such that I can contribute my skills, my knowledge, my um, energies, my enthusiasm, my passion towards the success of my business, not just do a job. So I think our old way of working was doing a job. The new way of working has got to be based more on contribution and hopefully that will get reflected in how we're remunerated as well. So that actually people start to focus not on your position as your source of remuneration, but the contribution you make. So when you're working with your clients at the moment, Adrian, how, yeah. what, what is their biggest challenge in how, in how they cope with what they're, what's happening? I think that, well, what I've been doing with them is taking them through a four-step process called Stop, Pause, Breathe, Continue. And it starts with the stop, and that's where a lot of people need to start <laughs> because you need to stop and assess the situation. Um, a lot of people go into panic mode because they think, oh, I've got to rush and do something. No, panic, do something. And the doing of that is based not really on good, clear thinking. So people have, I mean, I saw somebody doing a promotion the other day and it was as, as if nothing had happened. It was like, oh, and for all these wonderful things, I'm going to sell you for 1,300 pounds, but today you can get it for 39 pounds. I was thinking, yeah, but that was, that was six weeks ago that worked. That's not what people want right now. People actually want value. So the hard thing is actually rethinking your business from a point of view of what do my customers value from me now? Not what they valued for, or what I thought they valued from me before, but what do they value from me now? And that's quite a hard thing to think. And you probably need to talk to some of your customers as well to get some feedback. So they're struggling with the, the stop bit to go, what's happened? You know, what has happened to my business? What are the relationships in my business? What's going on? So really understanding their current reality and their customer's current reality. So that's the first step. And once they get used to that and they sort of slow down and stop panicking and take time to assess what's going on, the current, you know, take stock, then they move out of the stop phase into the pause stage, which is like, okay, now, we want to reflect on all of that and we want to reflect on what's possible going forward and start to create. And then we move into the breathe stage, which is, okay, now they'll be allowed to bring the new things together and then the continue is when we start to rebuild the business. But it's, it's getting people to slow down, to not panic. That's what people are having a real deal. And you can understand why. Because very few of us um, have cash reserves. We don't live in a society that lives on cash reserves anymore. And when you're operating uh, from a, a position of panic, you're not going to be effective in anything you're doing. And, and that boils down to mindset, doesn't it? Absolutely. The, I think we're, we're, you know, if we're going to invent a future and uninvent the past, we've got to change our mindset because our mindset comes from, our, our thinking comes from the relationships we have, the possibilities that create and the structures we create for that. And that's the source of our thinking. That has been blown apart. So to carry, to carry on thinking in the same way is like, uh, I, I used a metaphor the other day, 
It's like the game your business is has changed from tennis to archery. <laughs> now, if you just think of that one for a minute, you know, tennis, you knock a ball back and you expect it to come back at you. Well, if suddenly your business has gone into the archery, you don't want that coming back. So it's a different, totally different mindset. The game is that different. And so you, everybody has got to think about their business in a completely different way. And that's challenging. I mean, you, you, you're a businesswoman. You've got properties and you do what you do. What's been the biggest challenge you've had from a mindset point of view from six weeks ago to today? Well, there's been, there's been several because we, we've got a variety of projects on the go at the moment. And it, again, it's just a case of prioritizing what is most important, ensuring the safety of tenants and making mm -hmm. sure that, because I have a portfolio of HMOs, so they're, they're sharing properties and just making sure that they're you know, looking after one another. But uh, again, it's making sure that the rent's going to be paid, that mortgages paid for all of the the different properties that we have and we're going to carry on paying the bills. But so I guess the financial is the core um, concern initially and, and sort of shutting down a, a build site on, on a conversion of the property. Again, that was frustrating because you know, that that's going to delay the program of that, but you know, the health of everybody is the most important. And, and when you realize actually all of this can just be put on hold um, yes, we'll probably have to plow, more money into the business to just keep it afloat at the moment but it's it that's a that's a cash flow thing but you know i'm i'm here i'm i'm looking at how i can do more things online in, in a different income stream i have different incomes so the property is one the coaching is another and the podcasting has as you know has been a great way of communicating with people and sharing sort of knowledge on the property vault we've been giving out great podcasts in terms of how to work from home and how to be resilient and in these times. And I think resilience is, is one of the, the core sort of mindset. Um, oh, how do I describe it? The, the, the most important thing for me right now is mine is the resilience mindset. Yeah. And, and I think that what, you know, why it's important for me is like, you know, what's going on right now. So I'm talking to people about, okay, you've got to, You've got to assess your business and you've got to think of it differently. But why it's important is because if you think, if you carry on thinking like you've always thought, all you're going to do is really tweak and tinker with the past processes and just try and reinvent them based on past successes and you're going to get what you get. But the world's changed. And because that fundamental change in the foundations of not only you and your business, but your tenants, your customers, everybody's lifestyle has changed. So, you know, you're running H, you run HMOs, you have residential HMOs, and, and you have HMOs to a very good standard. But if people are going to be working from home more, what's impact is that going to have on HMOs? You know, if people, you know, do you need to have more living space? Do you need to have more, do you need to have a, a, a shared office space? Do you need to start to think about it in a completely different way? Because actually that's going to suit different people's needs. And, people's home needs will change, especially for professionals. Um, the other thing is, if you're, you know, just stay with property for a second, you know, if you're thinking about designing houses, well, if people are gonna be working from home more, then you ought to be thinking about when you build new houses to include an office space as, as part of the design, in addition to what you normally do, 
you need to add on an office space so that somebody can go and work in an office. And if they don't want to work from home, they can use it as a TV snug. But mentally, people have got to start to redo what we normally have done in society. Yeah, it makes, makes perfect sense, definitely. It's a big change. But when you look at your own business and you look at the fundamentals of your own business, I used to do X, Y, Z. So for me, going out and getting business, majority of the time was through public speaking and face-to-face contact. Now, that obviously doesn't happen anymore. But actually looking at it, I'm thinking, well, does that need to happen? Because actually it's quite intensive for me and intensive for the person in time, whereas we could just jump on a call and do it through Zoom or Facebook. Now, most of my calls, sales calls were done on the phone or through Zoom anyway, but it's just the capture of the client. I have to change. So I've got to then think about their needs, how they need to work, what they need to do to change my business, to think about it differently, to think about that customer journey differently and work from a point of view of this is the outcome I want to produce and now work it back to how I need to behave today. And we all need to do that in all our businesses, whether we're, we're selling online, whether we're selling face-to-face, whether we're selling offline, it doesn't matter. The game has changed. So you're helping people change, which is fantastic. And, and that is, has been at the core of what you've been doing and your, essentially your why for a, a while now. Yeah. Why are people so resistant to change? No, uh, oh, good question. Um, let's break that down into two parts. So there's conscious resistance and there's unconscious resistance. People are consciously resistant when they set their mind about a particular way of doing something and they're, they're, it's about their pride and they're, they're, they're no, no, I've got to do it my way. And they're really fixed on it. And it's, a, it's normally about projecting power or projecting dominance or projecting something. So I'm going to take it on, this is my way or no way, my way or the highway type approach. Mm-hmm. So they, want, they don't want to change it because of that reason. But then there's the unconscious challenge. And the way I like to describe that, you've heard, you've heard me talk about lizard brain before, I think. Yeah, that, yes. that bit of your old part of the brain that is yeah. the flight, fright, all that bit, the yeah. old thinking part, prehistoric brain, some people call it. If you make a change gradual, so you know where you're gonna end up, so you have clear purpose of where you're ending up at the change, which could be a really big thing, but you make the steps clear well-defined and well-marked out, then our lizard brain isn't too scared. But as soon as you make the change big and dramatic, the lizard brain kicks in and wants to resist. It's trying to keep you safe. It's trying to keep the world the same. It's trying to keep the playing field level. So someone like, um, I interviewed Chris Hoy once, and he was a very interesting guy, and only I got to ask him a couple of questions because it was at a big conference. But I asked him, you know, what's the one thing? And he said, it wasn't one thing. It's everything put together that makes it. And I said, well, give me an example. And he said, well, we used to cycle 80 miles to a training round, do some horrible exercise, and then cycle back. And so it's 80K there, 70K back. And when you're doing the exercise, they throw up. Now, in a four-year cycle, an Olympic cycle, that meant I think they did it 204 times or something. I can't remember the actual number, but it was about 204 times. Now, that's 204 times to consciously choose to do something that's going to be very uncomfortable because of the goal. But if I'd said to you at the beginning of that, right, 
you're going to do this 204 times. Your lizard brain will be going, no way. But actually, they just did it the next day. So tomorrow we're going to do that. Okay, fine. That fits in with the general global things. You know, I can cope with just doing that once. The lizard brain is going to accept it. So you can accept going to the gym once. But what we try and do is we don't make that then a standard for ourselves to perform to. So if we do little things, read the compound effect, you know, Darren Hardy's book. It's like tiny little changes consistently applied. A, doesn't freak out your lizard brain, but B, gets you the result really quickly. And I think that's why this whole podcast is, is here, because a lot of people are unaware of what their why is, why they're doing things. They're living on mm. autopilot. And mm -hmm. so they're not consistently applying the, the small changes that you need on a daily basis to get to where you want to, to reach in whatever form that may take, because they're just doing the things that the way they've done them. Even if they've been in a level of pain or, or, or discomfort, you know, people would rather stay as they are than affect a change. Mm -hmm. And I think, so, I mean, I, 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 a program was going to launch on the 1st of April called Upscale Your Business, which I've delayed, right? Because Upscale Your Business, Upscale your business. First of April, you mean first of May, right? No, it was going to be the first of April, oh, but okay. I delayed it. Oh. And I delayed it because um, it's not appropriate right now. Right. Because it's it's appropriate for somebody who's actually gone through the whole goal setting process and wants to then make the whole goal setting process the thing that's going to upscale their business. But there's a massive piece of work to do before that in the current world, so which is actually create a survival plan for your small business. So I'm going to start with survival plan for small business. And then after that, once you've got that in place and you've sort of crash tested it a bit, then you can move into the upscale your business plan. But the, the core element of that is something I did learn from Darren Hardy, actually, which was this, this whole diet day, whole idea, sorry, of creating a, an impact program over 90 days three months, which is sort of the, the time everyone says, you know, that's to really embed a good, a good process takes about three months. Because what we tend to do, and, and, and the, the three months are very different types of behavior. So the first month is really looking at and designing and creating. And that's a particular mindset. That's a particular way of working. It takes a lot of energy and effort and doesn't produce a lot of results at that time. So it's creative, inventive, innovative, um, systemizing, measuring, planning, getting research, all that bit, right? The next part, the middle part, the middle 30-day cycle, is about testing it and tweaking it and refining it. And then the third cycle, 30 days, is about automating it or delegating it and pushing, pushing it harder because you've already got a system that works. Most people, when they approach a problem, jump into the third 30-day cycle because they don't do the thinking, they don't do the planning, they don't do the testing. They just go for the big thing, which is why they mostly fail. And, and Darren Hardy talks about that in his book really well as well. So you asked me earlier about some books to read. I think his book is such a... If you can take it one day at a time, it's a great book to read because you don't have to change everything tomorrow. You have to change little things tomorrow. And then the little things the next day, and then the little things the next day, and keep that going. But yes, if you don't know why you're doing it, you're going to be going all over the place. You know, you've got no direction. 
And something about the people that you could look to for inspiration here in, in dealing with, with challenges and change. You mentioned the sort of 1% of, of the top 1% in the world, they relish challenges. This is a conversation we had just before we started recording. Um, yeah. And I think that that's, there's a lot to be taken from, from those people who do relish the, the sort of the challenges because seeing problems as being that they're solution solvers that's that's how they are innovative and creative what are your thoughts on that well let's let's look at what they are in a couple of sort of different dimensions if you like first of all they have a talent so they they have a natural talent of something or, or they have an ability that they've developed and grown and nurtured uh, they have a natural mindset which takes them they approach things in a particular way and that's their power, their superpower. What they do is they then create an environment around themselves to make sure that they get the best return on investment on their superpower. So no, there's nobody out there, even though there are the one percenters or the 10 percenters and the five percenters, none of them do it on their own. That's the thing that you know, we forget. These people create an environment around themselves. So first of all, they have the mindset, which is, I'm good at this. This is what I need to do. This is how I can become, this is how I can generate greatness, whatever that may be, or success. But then they realize what they can't do. And they immediately get, they create an environment around them that fills in all those gaps. So that's people, talent, skills, all those sorts of things, systems, processes, so that they get to do what they do better. And you're a business coach as well, and a coach. And when we're coaching people, we are becoming a resource to that person to improve their superpower. We're not doing their job for them. We're helping them create that environment around them that's gonna enable them to do that. And the environment is two parts. There's the mindset, how they think, not just about themselves, but about their business, about their circumstances, about their customers, about the market, but also then the physical part. So mindset first, then physical part, where they put in the things, the, the touchable, tangible things that make it possible for them to succeed. I mean, does that sound familiar? Absolutely. And, and all of that is, is very true. And, and that's when we're working with clients, you know, the what and the how are really important, but it's the why. I keep coming back to the why are they doing what they're doing. Yeah, and I think your statement earlier, a lot of business run on autopilot, a lot of business owners run on autopilot. Um, something that uh, Jonathan Hawkins, who's the founder of Bismosis, and who I've been working with for just over a year now, and I've actually launched my own Bismosis group down in Chichester as well. So Bismosis is a business learning environment, a learning community. And we're there to help people who want to grow and scale their business. But most people who start a small business off probably start a small business off because they're good at something. They're a technician entrepreneur. And then they wake up one morning and realize they're running a business. And that's when they then have to become one of those 5% to 1%ers to say, right, now I'm running a business. I've got to structure this properly. I have to think about it like a business. And I need to think about it, even though you may be just employing two, three, 10, 20, 50 people, 
you've got to think about it like a big company and then apply those that thinking to a small business and my job is providing small businesses with big ideas so they can run their businesses as big businesses even if they're small businesses because yeah. they need to have that mindset i totally agree and i think there was a book that you recommended a, a while ago um, but i only recently got around to reading it which is the infinite game by Simon. Mm -hmm. and yeah. understanding that your business is not about the immediacy of returning uh, shareholders that there's dividends or or what is is just for the short-term satisfaction it's the long-term legacy that is is what you're aiming for and if you go back i mean i'm not going to i will get the names all wrong but i think there was the cabri did it um there was uh johnson's had it and a couple of other those big old corporations of day days gone by nestle had it. they had they created villages. I mean, Saltaire up in near Leeds, Bradford area, was created, and I can't remember which family created that, mm. but that was created for the, the workers of the business to live. So not only did they have a job, but they had a place to live. They had healthcare, they had welfare, they looked after them, there were schools and things like that. So they built a community around the business. Now, go back then, shareholder value wasn't the major thing. Okay, the the wealth creation opportunities going down into the business were very limited in those days. But they had, so in a situation like this, they wouldn't have been turfed out in the houses. The workers would have been taken care of. Stay at home, you can't do anything at work, stay at home, and you're fine, you're safe, you're protected. So the reserves of the, of the, of the family owning the business was able to su survive the people, the people who to survive. So the big estates that were run in the olden days like that. But now business has a different model. It has this model, and Simon Sinek talks about this brilliantly in Leaders Eat Last as well, where he talks about, you know, when you go to work in the modern world, the leaders of that organization have to become parentis in loco in, loco in parentis, you know, the, the, the other parents of the people while they're there. You have to take care of them. But we don't take care of them. Businesses don't nurture their staff very well. Um, and we're seeing more and more, I mean, have you ever followed the corporate rebels at all on linkedin no, uh, group of dutch people actually some of the stuff they're about if you want i can't i think it's corporate rebels.com oh, I'll, I'll get that in there later but it's a really nice they have looked around businesses that have flourished and thrived around the world about this uh you know uh dis uh, not distribute yeah, distributed management and um people having self um go back to the Thrive uh, thing from uh, Daniel Pink. You know, uh, you had uh, autonomy, uh, what was his three things? Autonomy, uh, responsibility or communication, something. Those, his three areas of, you know, you get up to be responsible for your own life and learn your life and actually contribute your life. But that was down to you. So you could actually bring your contribution to life. Now, when organizations do that, and they reward people appropriately for that. The wealth doesn't go up as much. It's a flatter organization, but more people get to build their own wealth and their own resources and their own war chest, which is, I think, one of the things that we've learned in this crisis is that we all need a war chest. Because if we don't have one, then when the tap gets turned off, we're stuck. Um, and I'm not being big-headed here you know i do have a cash war chest not huge but it's there 
and it means that I'm not panicking. So I can, it's not all in stocks and shares and everything making money. I do keep cash around, mm. you know, in the bank. Not only a lot of interest, but it's there. And it means that you have access to that. You can draw on that in times when you have crisis. Now, nobody predicted this crisis. No, this was, this was one we just hadn't predicted. But hey, you learn your lessons, right? Well, you'd hope so. I mean, I know a lot of people who, who don't learn from their previous lessons and you know, <laughs> carry on as they, a lot of people are saying, when is it going to get back to normal? And it, it's not going to, and I don't want it to go back to normal. It needs, it's great opportunity for things to change and to, and to evolve. Yeah. And I think that if we can understand that the opportunity that this gives us today is a huge opportunity. I mean, it really is. I think probably it's a lifetime opportunity. This isn't going to happen again. Um, and I'm saying opportunity for prices. So the end of the Second World War, there was a massive opportunity at the end of the Second World War for people to come out anew and do things differently. One of the huge mistakes, I think, in the end of the Second World War is that suddenly all the women who'd been out working at factories and playing the football and everything got told, no, go home and, and make babies. That was, it was like, God, what short-sightedness. But only with hindsight do we know that, because that was the mindset of the day. So let's bring that mind, just think that now, to our mindset of the day cannot be, let's get back to how it was. Because that's, that's the same thing as what happened at the end of the Second World War. So let's not have that mindset. Let's not go back to how it was. Let's realise that we're in a new place and move forward from here. I think that's yeah. a, a great message to a lot of people out there, Adrian, that to, to do the stop, pause, breathe and continue, not necessarily for your business, but for all aspects of your life. And, and assess, you know, what elements haven't been working so well and, and could be improved and, and, and take stock of that situation, get that clarity about what it is that you want and, and really relish the opportunity to change. Um, much yeah. resistance as you may you give yourself, but now is the time to find out what's, what you have in your resources and what is possible. And relationships are, are now going to be changed for pretty much everything that we had a, a grip on before. And yeah. It, and the thing that's changed, the thing we've got to be clear about what's changed in the relationship is the dynamic, how we relate to people, how we relate to our business, how we interact with our customers. If you like, the, the perfect description of the relationship a business has with its customer is the customer journey the how the relationship is, is executed and the experience that relationship is aimed at delivering to a customer. But then we have the employee relationship. So what's the experience we want to deliver to our employees? That's going to change. Um, the, you know, the working environment could change dramatically for the better. You know, there are less planes flying, there are less trains traveling. Now, I know tourism is a major source of revenue and income around the globe but does it need to be to the extent it needs to be um can we do other things do we do we start to put health and well-being above profit and, and growth i don't know maybe we do maybe we actually get profit and growth because we have health and well-being and so we start to see a shift in the way we operate 
on a global level, but also on a micro level in our own little businesses, in our own communities. What I love, um, and you know, you're seeing you know, McDonald's shut down, all the big, all those big companies shut down, right? Because they're corporates, they just shut down. But all the little family restaurants are still trying to keep going. Uh, you know, they're delivering pizzas, they, they're doing stuff. You can go and pick up stuff from outside, put it outside in a box. Farmers markets, you can phone your order and go and pick stuff up. People are being really innovative. They're doing all the social distancing. They're absolutely making sure we contain this virus, but they're finding ways to operate. And I was actually talking on the first of the, the webinars I've been running, which has been called um, Normal is Suspended, What's Next? So I decided I've been running a series of webinars called that. And on the second one, we had this guy who had been a, a, a client. He worked for a client of mine, a hotel group down in, in Dartmouth. And he was a head chef then. And uh, he now has a butcher's company uh, down in Cornwall. And his whole business was to the hospitality industry. So his business went from really good to zero <laughs> overnight. Everyone shut down. Oh, my God, he had no customers. So instead of going into complete panic and meltdown, um, sort of halfway there, he actually thought, well, hang on, there must be other businesses with the same problem. So he started floating around. He got total, I think, 15 different businesses. And they created a little cooperative where he's using his vans to deliver meat, veg, and other produce to people at their homes. Now, they're out in the middle of Cornwall, so they don't have massive delivery from everywhere else, but they can get it from the farmers, direct from the farmer to people's homes. And you think, well, that's a bloody good model. So I said to him, so what are you going to do next? And he went, well, yeah, I'd just like to think that too now. So he's already thinking about, well, when we come out of this, how do we actually continue that? He'll get his hospitality business back, but he might be able to deliver more to the hospitality industry. And because he's delivering to customers as well, general public people as well, his business is going to be more resilient, which I think is brilliant. Uh, absolutely. And I think going back to talking about the health uh, aspect, I mean, like there's a, a great quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson, which is the first wealth is health. And, mm -hmm. and understanding that a lot of people who come to me for coaching, and it's probably the same for you, that there has, there's been some kind of epiphany or, or health issue or some, some kind of um, major change in someone's life that has led them to have a, a sort of a reset and a re, or a reframe of what, what they need to do and how they're doing it. And health tends to be one of the the triggers, the major triggers. And, and that's what we're all experiencing on a global basis right now. But we mustn't let that circumstance define us. No. So, you know, I've had cancer. Um, my cancer hasn't quite gone away. Uh, I'm having, uh, well, I plan to be having radiotherapy in, uh, starting in June. Um, they've now put that back three months. So I'm on the hormone therapy before the, the, the chemotherapy, the radiotherapy. And, um, but I've had uh, heart attacks, I've you know, had crushing business loss, I've had uh, cancer three times, and I've got divorced, and you know, my mother's died in January, my father died when I was 30 years old. Traumatic incidents, but I've never let those incidents define me, never let the circumstances define who I'm being. And I've always found it easier, not easier, wrong word, I've always found it possible to have a clear vision of what who I wanted to be, who I was becoming, the future, and use that to actually pull me back and lift me up and, and drive me forward. And I think 
people who've met me and who know me know me for two things helping them get through brick walls quickly and effectively without hurting themselves and also how to create and sustain long-term change and i think the mindset part your why your purpose your inner drive is absolutely vital um people who've had purpose conversations with me have sort of gone away from them going i never realized that was what was driving me because we all have an inner purpose just most of the time we're not conscious of what it is and maybe now with the circumstances we're in it's a really good chance to connect with our inner purpose our inner why and then translate that into the business why because if we can do that our businesses are going to be much more resilient and much more uh, dynamic and flexible than they would be otherwise and adrian i think that's a perfect place to end because i don't think there's much more to add on it i think that just sums it up brilliantly so thank you so much for your time on this podcast and and sharing your your why and how you are helping people in today's crazy times it is crazy thank you so much for inviting me amy and i do wish you all the best with this and you are of the moment you are needed right now so let's hope we get lots of people to listen to this and uh, take action Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star iTunes review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of the inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.